It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and happy Friday, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Schmelk Meadow with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Get on the line. Talk some Giants football with us. Giants getting ready for preseason game number three. They host the Jets at MetLife Stadium. Kickoff a little early on Saturday at 6 o'clock. Pre-game at 5 o'clock on WFAN-FM. Go check it out. Um, and Lance... I think we're going to see a lot of the Jets starters based on what Robert Sala has said. I know we're going to see Aaron Rodgers. We'll see about some of the other guys. On the other hand, I don't think we're going to see a lot of the Giants starters. Brian Dable has been typically tight-lipped about this. But if you kind of look at how they practice this week, my instinct is that most of the guys that you think are going to be their you know, full-time stalwart cornerstone players this year are not going to play in the game. Well, he was asked also multiple times, does it change with Aaron Rodgers starting? Do you Which have, is a stupid question, yeah, quite frankly. But. The itch to put out your own starters, and the Jets are going to do their own thing, the Giants are going to do their own thing. Yep. I really don't think anything enters similar territory with respect to that. I have been on the record, I'll stand by saying that I do think there's value in playing starters, even if it's for a small period of time. You got two weeks before the start of the regular season, but if they feel that the first-team offense got enough work in on that first drive in the last game, that's fine. We know they're practicing on a daily basis. I could sell it both ways. I really don't think it's damaging if you don't play your starters, but I also don't think it necessarily puts you in a bad spot if you feel some of these guys can get additional work. And remember, there's some guys on the offensive line that are still being moved around and battling for roster spots and positions. It may not hurt to maybe throw a few of the interior offensive linemen out there if you feel you want to get some more game film on footage to determine where you want to put them in at the beginning of the regular season or whether or not, obviously, they warrant or justify a roster spot. Yeah, and, and we'll get to the spots that are going to be important in this game. But, look, to me, if you get the guys in one game, they feel like they, they get a feel for what it feels like to get hit again. They get a feel for what it is to tackle again. You get the mechanics of substitutions down. You get muscle memory with the coaches and the players, two in the sideline, out of the sideline, pregame warm-ups. Just your pattern, I think you're fine. If you want to play guys for another game, that's fine. I don't think one series either way is going to you know make any difference in, in week one uh, preparedness. But I do think there are things to still accomplish in this game. And I think you hit one, and we'll start there. Because they are starters, Lance, but we don't know necessarily at the two guard spots. And, I, you know, I think John Michael Schmitz at center, I think he's pretty much secured that spot based on what we've seen. So if you don't want to play the rookie in this game, I get it. I'd be fine with that. Um, I mean, if you want to put him against Quinn and Williams, they give him a couple snaps if he plays. I get it. Fine, sure. whatever. But he's been dealing with Dexter Lawrence for a month and a half now. So I don't think it really it's not makes like he hasn't much been of a battle difference. Tested yet. Correct. But. Do you get one more look at Izudu, Bredesen, and Glowinski at different spots? They've been trying to put Glowinski more at, at left guard, but they haven't really seen that in a game. So is that something they want to get a little bit more of? I don't know the answer to that, and I think maybe if they're still trying to figure out what that looks like, maybe it makes sense. But I do think we'll get a clue. Like, if Bredesen and Glowinski don't play in this game, that probably tells me that they're going to be the two starters in Week 1. I would think that they'd feel pretty secure and they wouldn't feel as if they need to move those guys around. But here's the caveat. Bredesen is right now the backup center. Maybe they say if John Michael Schmitz doesn't play, do they want to give Bredesen more work at center leading up That's to the regular season? Good question. And then he plays. I wouldn't read so much into that. I don't think it's necessarily an indication he wouldn't start at guard, but it could be an indication they just want him to once again get his feet a little bit more wet at center because Dable was actually asked about this the other day, that when you have a starter who is the backup center, how do you approach that? So, for example, if John Michael Schmitz, not that anybody's hoping this happens, but hypothetically speaking, he gets banged up in the middle of a game. Bredesen is at left guard. You're going to now move Bredesen from left guard to center, and then somebody else is going to come in to play left guard. So it doesn't hurt once again to go through some of these hypotheticals during the preseason. That's the whole purpose also of these preseason games. It's to prepare for the worst-case scenario. So I could see that type of scenario playing out where maybe Bredesen gets some looks at the center spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, Lance, to be honest with you, 
in what situation Glowinski would be asked to play left guard, right? He's your starting right guard. You have two guys that can play left guard in Bredesen and Azudu. There isn't any other, like, right guard only player on the team. So I get trying to cross-train the guys, but I'm just trying to figure out in my head what contingency the coaching staff is trying to prepare for by having Glowinski play at left guard. Like, can you form a scenario where you would need him to move to left guard? Well, I would say the scenario is if, God forbid, you have like two or three guys down, right? I mean, it's possible. Well, why wouldn't you just leave him at right guard and put someone else in at left guard? It depends on also where the comfort is for some of the other players on the roster. You know, remember, we're thinking from the outside looking in, they may not feel great about some of the guys that we're assuming would be slid into left guard. They may not feel great about that. And remember, you always hear this. You put your best five guys out on the field. If they think that Glowinski at left guard is more secure next to Andrew Thomas and with John Michael Schmitz to the right of him, who knows? They may feel as if those are better scenarios. I I don't rule anything out at this point. And once again, you may never see these configurations during the regular season, but that's, once again, what the whole point of the preseason is. So throw Glowinski out there at left guard. Even if he never plays a snap there, at least you know, God forbid you get into that scenario, you could say, hey, third preseason game or third week of training camp practice, we put you in that spot so it's not all of a sudden a rude awakening. Yeah, a couple other spots. I think we'll stay in the offensive line real quickly. I think Marcus McKeithen and Shane Lemieux will probably have some very important snaps in this game. Can Tyree Phillips stay healthy throughout the game and show that he's healthy and ready to go in week one as you figure out who that ninth offensive lineman is and whether or not they keep a tenth offensive lineman, which I think is possible, even if maybe a little less likely. Well, Right now, if you're dealing with some injuries on the offensive line, you mentioned Tyree Phillips. Dayblow the other day said that he should be okay at this stage. So I wouldn't necessarily be overly concerned about that. But there's a few other guys that have been sidelined during the course of training camp. And it's a must. If you feel you have somebody on the roster who has versatility to play guard and center, I would say that warrants a roster spot. Because, you know, there's going to be so many players that are going to be thrown out on the waiver wire or outright released. But who's to say that some of these offensive linemen are interchangeable? Where they could play guard and tackle, or they could play guard and center. The Giants, I would say, are in a luxurious position where they have several guys on the roster. So if you were to ask me right now, I'd keep 10 offensive linemen, if feasible, because I think... With so many movable parts right now and them experimenting with guards and you have a rookie center and Bredesen is your backup center and then you would take him out of the guard spot, based on all of those different layouts, there's actually value, I would say, in keeping 10 offensive linemen on this roster. Yeah, and then you have the other question, is there a fourth tight end? We don't know what's going on with Tommy Sweeney's health. Does Chris Myrick make it as a fourth tight end? That's maybe not an either or or situation. It's, is there a fourth guy at all? And I think that's a decision. Same thing with the fourth running back, right? Gary Brightwell is probably too banged up to play in this game. He hasn't practiced all week. Does Deshaun Corbin take advantage of this situation? He's been on special teams. Does James Robinson maybe do something to warrant a look as a fourth running back? Those are two spots that I'm not sure that they're even going to be there on the roster. But I think it's positions where if these guys show enough, maybe they can force the coaches to keep them. I think a lot of the players you threw out are probably practice squad too attractive-wise, because, you know, Chris Myrick, I think you can get him on the practice squad if you're worried about keeping an extra tight end because of Tommy Sweeney. Jay Sean Corbin, I think you put him on the practice squad. Brightwell, it doesn't seem as if it's a serious injury, and you do have Saquon, you got Matt Breed, and you got Eric Gray, who are absolutely on the roster. So once again, even if Brightwell's not 100%, you keep him on the roster, you have Corbin on the practice squad, I would say you're in a good position God forbid one of those guys has a setback. Yeah, I think special teams. We, we, we all know Brightwell's a good special teamer. Oh, without can, a doubt. Can Corbin give you something on specials? Or maybe if Brightwell's injury is a problem, is Corbin good enough to make the running back uh, make it as a fourth running back because of his special team's ability? So I would watch him on specials. And another thing I'll ask too, are they going to keep a seventh wide receiver? Um, I feel pretty good that Hodgins, Slayton, Campbell, Hyatt, Shepard, Beasley are going to be on the roster. We'll see if some of those guys are playing in this game. That might point to the fact that maybe they're on the bubble. We'll see. But do they keep a seventh? Does Wanda Robinson get activated? Not necessarily game-related, but that's a thing we can talk about. And the other guy is Bryce Ford-Wheaton, and that's only because of not his receiving, quite honestly. He's been a gunner on special teams in practice. He's been a vice player against the gunners on special teams in practice. He's been on kick return and punt return. Is he a guy that can earn his way as an undrafted free agent that they you know, made a priority they liked? Is his special teams play strong enough 
to maybe sneak him as the one of the last couple guys on the 53. See, I would think if you're going to keep a wide receiver for special teams purposes, then I think a guy like Jamison Crowder would enter the conversation. Yeah, he doesn't help you on coverage, though. No, I, I get that. But what I'm saying is, is that I would rather have insurance for Eric Gray in case things maybe don't go according to plan. Well, and by the way, if, want... if Eric Gray struggles on a punt return or two, then that, that might be a, a thing. In a the thing. game, if, if, if Eric Gray has trouble catching punts or something like that, then Crowder, I think, re-enters the equation. Yeah, but yes. once again, if you don't feel great about that, so let's say he does have some issues in this last preseason game, to me the conversation is more of keeping Crowder on the roster over Ford Whedon, I guess is what I'm getting at. But I guess could you just have Beasley or Slayton or Shepard just catch punts for you? Is that a big deal? You could, but once again, Beasley has not done it for mm -hmm. several years. You have to go back to his Dallas Cowboys days. I don't know, once again, if Shepard does make the roster, if they want to expose him to additional hits. Not to say that there's a lot of hits on these special teams plays, but still, a lot of those other options that you mentioned either haven't played in a while in that spot or have some injury baggage. That's why Crowder is the best of both worlds. He's a veteran, polished wide receiver. He doesn't have major injury health concerns based on his past track record, and you know he's a very reliable return guy. So I would probably value that more so than the coverage guy if I had to make a choice down right, the stretch. Let's, let's jump to defense because I do think there's some more spots to earn there. How many defensive linemen are they going to keep? I mean, I feel pretty good they're going to keep Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Nacho, Ashawn Robinson, <laughs> Jordan Riley. Those are five guys. But then you have two other young guys in Ryder Anderson and DJ Davidson who are young players that they like. You know, usually you're only going to have two of those guys on the field at, at once unless you're in base defense or a goal line, which is probably like 20 to 25% of the snaps. So how many of those big guys can you keep? What's Ryder Anderson's health? He's not going to play in the game. That's going to be a doctor decision, not necessarily yeah. a, a decision-maker Joe Shane decision. But then DJ Davidson, who, who came off uh, Pup a couple weeks ago, is he somebody that can show enough to get on the roster? So I think you'll see a lot of the, these, those young guys, Riley and Davidson specifically up front, and we got to see how they do. Ryder Anderson could be a candidate. I'm just throwing this out there. He could make the 53, then maybe they put him on IR. Possible. And he misses the first four games. Remember, once you get on the 53-man roster, you go to IR, you have the right to return. So that is something also to watch. A lot of the players that you mentioned I mean, and once again, you're talking about veterans here, John. You know, that's the other thing if you're the Giants. That's not a young position when you look at that group. Nacho, Ashawn Robinson, and Robinson's coming off a season-ending injury and last Leonard year. And Leonard Williams, yeah. It may justify, to answer your question, keeping an additional body so that this way you have a Jordan Riley, you have a DJ Davidson, and then you have Ryder Anderson, assuming he's healthy. I'd feel good about having three younger options in the event that one or two of those guys who we mentioned who have a lot of mileage on their tires doesn't hold up for the bulk of the season. Is there a fifth-edge guy? I think Thibodeau, Ojolari, Jihad Ward, and Taman Fox are on. Does Zimenez make it? Does Tayshawn Bauer make a run here? Does Haba Baldonado maybe grab that last spot? Or do they just go with four, which I think is a possibility too? Well, you have to also take into consideration the addition of Isaiah Simmons. If they use him as a pass rusher— yeah, I, don't, I don't see him as an edge player. Well, no, I'm not saying an every-down player, mm -hmm. but I could see them using him, though, and getting after the quarterback— and Wink being creative, so maybe they don't need a fifth guy. They have sort of a hybrid guy to follow what you're talking about. That may change the rationale. I happen to like Baldonado. I think he's shown some flashes in the preseason. He reminds me a little bit of where Taman Fox was last season, and Fox ultimately earned a roster spot, and I think there's value in bringing along some of those young guys. But if they say to themselves, Baldonado, raw player, came over from Italy, we could get him through waivers and put him on the practice squad, then I could see that happening. But Simmons, I think, could very well influence the volume of pass rushers, edge rushers they decide to keep because, once again, I'm not saying he's going to be an every-down guy, but I do think they're going to use him at least in that area. Yeah, I think it can also limit the off-ball linebackers as well. And I think yeah. Okereke, Beavers, and McFadden are all on. But then you have the Carter Coughlin, who I think probably has the advantage there. Cam Brown, who's not going to play in the game. And Deontay Johnson, you know, those are guys. And I think Coughlin's probably going to get a lot of time as the inside linebacker. Do, I mean, always a good special team already. Does he show enough as someone they can trust to back up Okereke and McFadden or whoever else is, is, is starting next to Okereke to warrant a roster spot for him? So I, I think he's a guy that, 
this game is important. I think for Deontay Johnson, too, who was an undrafted free agent that they liked, I thought he played pretty well in the first preseason game. Is he someone that can do enough to say, hey, you know what, maybe he's a guy we want to keep around and we don't want to expose to the waiver wire? Well, when we're talking about third, fourth, fifth linebackers, special teams is a must. Now, Carter Coughlin has experience in that department. Cam Brown has the length and the skill set also. You know, these other players are a little bit more of unknown commodities. And I'm going to throw Isaiah Simmons back out there. We talked about him as a pass rusher. We know he plays linebacker, John. So that's also going to influence, right, the volume of linebackers that they keep. Because if you're just doing the head count, Okereke, Beavers, McFadden, I think you feel pretty good about those three. I'm throwing Simmons in there. That's four. So then Coughlin, Brown, we're getting into five, six territory. I don't know if they need that many linebackers, especially if, once again, Wink chooses to go with an extra defensive back on the field. And we know that he did that a lot last season. And then you have Ray Wilborn, too, someone they brought in who was a good veteran special teams player. So that's someone else that could be in the mix there. And then finally, in the secondary, Lance, who's the fifth corner? I think we all know Dory Jackson, Deontay Banks, Trey Hawkins, and Cordell Flatter on the team. I think you have to keep a fifth. Nick McLeod can do it, but he's banged up. He's also yep. a safety hybrid. You know, and then I think it's kind of Darnay Holmes versus Amani Oruwariwe. Who are those, you know, which one of those two does the team like more? I think they're kind of in the mix for that last cornerback spot. And then it's safety. If you go short somewhere else, can you keep a fifth safety? I'm assuming Bobby McCain's going to make it at this point. Does Javarius Owens make a case to, to stick here? That's another guy that I'm sure will get a lot of playing time. And can he do enough? on specials and on defense to show that, look, I, I need to be on this roster. Well, there's two guys that you brought up that I think we should focus on, Nick McLeod and Bobby McCain, because both of them are interchangeable at corner and safety. Different so, spots are corner. No, no, McLeod's different spots, outside yeah. corner, McCain McCain's would be inside. Slot. Sure, Correct. but if you want to at least feel good that you have a veteran on the back end who you could put in a variety of spots, McCain, I think, is a very good candidate in that department, especially if McLeod is like Ryder Anderson. And once again, I'm just speculating, but let's say McLeod makes the roster and then they put him on IR because he's not ready, so he misses the first four games. And Brian Dable has indicated none of these things are long-term, so it's hard for us to tell what that means. But remember, four weeks on IR, that's not not long-term, right? So, I mean, you're still a candidate to go on injured reserve. We don't quite know what that means. That's basically what I'm going down the hypothetical road with to say they're both potential candidates in that department. So my point is McCain and McLeod, if one of them are at least healthy, and we know McCain is, then I think you feel okay with that player being the fifth corner so that in the event somebody else gets banged up. Because here's the other thing. You brought up outside versus inside. Okay, so with respect to outside, you feel good that Dory, Trey Hawkins, can man that spot. Banks. Banks, okay. Flot can as well. Okay, so that's four guys you mm-hmm. named, okay? I think you're in pretty good shape to at least get you through the first four weeks of the season with those four guys. And then we know as far as the inside, Darnay Holmes, Adori can also play inside. And so can Flot. And then McCain as well. So yep. between those five guys that we mentioned, I think you're in pretty good shape. I don't think you need to go beyond that. I think anybody else, I think you could start on the practice squad. All right, interesting. All right, and one more thing I want to say, and we'll get to your calls in just a second. You and I thought Jonathan really covered Isaiah Simmons inside and out yesterday, so I'll just kind of give my take really fast because I know Giant fans are very excited. And look, I get it. We talked about Isaiah Simmons a ton on this program three years ago. I mean, he was one of the three or four guys that we talked about as a potential Giants draft pick when they selected Andrew Thomas. I think the Giants made the right decision in that conversation, by the way. So, you know, I will just say this to fans. Isaiah Simmons has a very good skill set. He's very athletic. Um, He can do a lot of different things. And I think there's potential there. But the fact that the Giants are able to trade a seventh-round pick for him, and this is a guy, and I I looked this up yesterday. I wasn't aware of it before the trade. You know, he had had a lot of his salary converted to signing bonus. So his cap number was, was almost nothing. So it's not like this costed the Giants anything to really bring them on from a cap perspective. Yep. So any other NFL team could have traded a sixth-round pick for Isaiah Simmons and gotten the deal done. So we talk about market value dictates how valuable a player is, right? It didn't. It wasn't costing the Cardinals anything to keep Isaiah Simmons on the roster. And I understand he's a free agent after the year. You want to get something for him before he leaves, but you could have easily gotten a comp pick for him if he signs in the offseason. You know, if he would have played really well this season, maybe they want to re-sign him as a young cornerstone piece. 
Maybe he plays really well. You can trade him midseason and get something more than a seventh-round pick. My point is that there wasn't a ton of outside forces or motivation that was telling the Cardinals, we got to move this guy now. So just keep in mind what the Cardinals' mindset was. Why would they be willing to sell so low on that guy? And understand that every other NFL team could have had him for a sixth-round pick and 29 other teams declined. And again, this isn't a salary situation. Any other team could have fit him into their cap spot. So don't set your expectations too high. What I think they're going to do, and I haven't talked to Wink about this, is just how knowing how Wink operates. Did you see the role that Tony Jefferson played last year and the role that Landon Collins played last year as your virtual, you know, a second dime linebacker or a second nickel linebacker, however you want to describe hybrid that type formation? Of guy, yeah. That's a safety linebacker, you know, hybrid on passing situations. That's what Isaiah Simmons is going to do. Sure. It's going to be 15 to 20 snaps a game. He's not ahead of Jason Pinnock on the depth chart. He's not ahead of Xavier McKinney on the depth chart. He's not going to be ahead of Dane Belton on the depth chart. Hate to tell you, don't think that's going to happen, at least early on in, in the process. But I'm not sure the Giants think they have another linebacker other than Okereke that's really shown them a ton in passing situations and in coverage and in space that has the length and speed that Wink loves. So that's how I, I foresee the role coming through. And I think he's a guy that can run sideline to sideline. He has very good length. And Wink will figure out what he's good at, let him do what he's good at, which I think is facing the offense and being a space player because of his, you, you know, use your athleticism, run and hit, things like that. So that's how I look at it. I get everyone's excited. And I get he was a top 10 overall pick. But remember... All these NFL teams watch tape on these guys. If there were an NFL team out there that thought he was still going to be a star, they would have knocked on the door with a lot more than a sixth-round pick or a seventh-round pick. So well, that's where I'll leave it. And I think it also has to do with Wink probably saying to himself, as well as the front office, that he believes he can bring him in here and do some things with him. Yeah. And maybe there's other coordinators around the NFL that well, he, don't feel as strongly about that too. I think well, that's a big influence. And he, he, he thinks he's better than what they have. And he can help them in certain situations. But I think there is a certain level, and I've talked to some people that feel this way, and I could tell by the texts from my friends that are Giant fans texting me, like, we're going to get, this is like an all-pole prayer. We're, we're well, I mean, here. that, and yeah, like, you got to calm down from that. Pump, yeah. pump, pump the brakes. I mean, here. he is several years removed from being that first-round pick, too. Correct. Let's not forget. Correct. You know, this is not somebody that was drafted last year, and it didn't work out with Arizona, and now all of a sudden... He's going to come in. There's and, been a few we, years in the league. And look, we yeah. were all big Isaiah Simmons fans. I think we both of us were on, on the side of picking an offensive lineman that year, which ended up being the right decision. You had the choice of those four guys. I think the Giants picked the right one, though no one would be argued about Tristan Wirfs either. I think those two guys have obviously been um, steps ahead of uh, Jedrick Wills and obviously Mekhi Becton, who hasn't worked out at all because of the injuries. Um, but... Look, I think it's a, it's a good move. It's a good flyer. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be great. But just have a good feel for what his role on this team is going to be. And I think seeing what Landon Collins and Tony Jefferson did last year is probably a good feel for what they'll ask him to do this year. Probably more Landon than than Jefferson. Yeah, and Landon made several highlight hustle plays, sure. if you want to put yeah, it, in sure. that department. So I could definitely see Isaiah Simmons fitting in. The other thing that comes to mind is if you just look at the Giants' schedule, they are going up against several athletic mobile quarterbacks. And that's where a guy like Isaiah Simmons may be appealing to spy. Wink Martindale. Sure. So, you know, you look at, you got Josh Allen and Sam Howell, for example, in back-to-back -back weeks. And Howell's in the division. You're going to see him twice. A very athletic quarterback out of North Carolina. And that's coming up week six, week seven. And you figure by that time, because here's the other thing with respect to expectations. He is arriving maybe today. He's not going to be playing tomorrow. I highly doubt that. No. And it's going to be no, very no, no. slow going in the early sure. stage of the season. So they may be once again saying, okay, if we could get him caught up, by the midway point of the season, and then he starts to hit his stride and get comfortable, and we look yep. at who we're playing mobility-wise, I think that also makes a lot of sense. 201-939-4513. Let's get to the calls. Go subscribe to the Giant Subtle Podcast. Uh, Dan Hatman's up there from the Scouting Academy. Uh, did a great job talking all things scouting. That also kicked off our draft season podcast in 2023. Uh, Tony Pauline will be joining in a couple of weeks as, as we get some of these things down. We're going to have Jim Nagy on, Bruce Feldman, talk about his freaks, freaks list next couple of weeks. And it just went up. Prince of Mukamara, who is here announcing his retirement in a very emotional speech. Um, it was 
it was great seeing friends. He's such a nice kid. He, he's such just a good soul. And we had a good like 20-minute conversation with him, Pearson, something like that, 15, 20 minutes. It was a good talk, talking about his career a little bit, and uh, just uh, a lot of good stuff with Prince. So go check that out in the Giants Huddle Podcast. And while you're there, go check out Giants single game tickets for 2023. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. I would not expect any of the single game Cowboy tickets are available. You can go check, though. Maybe <laughs> some have become available. But uh, that game, uh, I think, is, is is pretty well sold out. And I think the Jets game later in the year is, is pretty well sold out, too. But again, go check. You never know when more tickets kind of um, hit that portal. So go, again, check it out, Giants.com slash tickets. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's go back to the phone to say what's up to Jeff in Maine. He's up next. Hi, Jeff. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Enjoying the show. Uh, that was a great uh, comprehensive summation of the uh, Simmons trade. Uh, nothing I can really add to that other than just to say that I think Shane's continuing to do a great job. Uh, the, uh, the main point I'd like to talk about, though, is uh, punting, actually, because I think this can either win us or lose us some games. Sure. Um, now, you had said, John, I think a couple of days ago that uh, uh, the punter, Jamie Gillen, had told you that uh, Thomas McGahee had told him to uh, punt the ball if he's punting within the 50-yard line, to drop it between like the 8 and 10-yard line-ish, yep, something that, like that. Yep. That and, is, and that, yeah, that, that is the target area where you want to force right. a fair catch around the 8-yard line. That's the goal. Right. Well, I strongly disagree with that because I think that um, you have to – I think coaches need to tailor their coaching style to their players, and I, I think that's what uh, Dable, Kafka, and Martindale do. But I like Jamie Gillen a lot. He's got a good leg on him. You can't teach that. But his strong, his strength is not kicking it short, and um, so you prefer for him to I'd kick like it into the end zone for touchbacks. I, I, <laughs> well, no, I don't understand. What I'd like him to do is do what uh, Jeff Fiegels did. You know, rotate his body a little and kick it out of bounds. Uh, you know, uh, within the twenty, and that way there's no chance of a, of a kick return. Whoa, 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 Jeff, hold on a second. Jeff Fiegels was not trying to kick it out of bounds inside the twenty. Jeff Fiegels was trying to kick it out of bounds inside the ten. And if you can kick it out of bounds between the 8- and 10-yard line, Thomas McGahee would be very happy with that as well. But it's a that's a lot tougher thing to do, to angle it at the exact spot out of bounds between the 8- and 10 than just placing it in the field of play between the 8- and 10. So you're asking a guy who, to your point, is still learning some of the, some of the touch portions of the position to do even more than what the special teams coach is asking him to do. Okay, I, I just I would think it would be easier to, to kick it out of bounds simply because I know what Jeff Fiegels used to do it. He would kind of deliberately just point his body in that direction, like yeah, he was one of the best shot. to do that, though, Jeff. Well, yeah, Jeff, Jeff, let me ask you: when 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 you're watching NFL games, how many NFL punters routinely put the ball out of bounds inside the ten yard line? Well, that's my point. I mean, to me, the biggest mystery in all sports is why no one not named Jeff Eagles in the last 20 years has been able to do that. Well, do you know why, Jeff? It's really hard. Yeah. It's super-duper <laughs> hard. No, I'm, 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 no, seriously, I'm not trying to be funny because you have to not only get your distance right, right, which is if, if you're just trying to get it between the 8 and the 10, all you're doing is worrying about right. distance in the field of play. If you're trying to get it out of bounds between the 8 and the 10 – then you're getting angles and direction yeah. in the mix too, which is a whole nother deal, and it becomes a lot tougher. I mean, let me put it this way, Jeff. If you're putting it between the 8 and the 10, you have a 50-yard wide field margin of error to get it between the 8 and the 10-yard line, okay? If you're trying to kick it out of bounds between the 8 and the 10-yard line, you literally have a line that you must get the ball to between the 8 and the 10-yard line, you literally have a 2-yard surface area as opposed to a 100-yard surface area in which to place the football. That's why it's a lot harder to put it out of bounds. Yeah, I mean, you talk about pinpoint accuracy, essentially, what Jeff Eagles was so effective in doing. There's a reason why he's on this end of the spectrum and everybody else is grouped together on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're basically, you're asking a guy to duplicate what Fiegels has done when there's no evidence of anybody else doing that since Fiegels pretty much retired consistently. King of the coffin corner, okay. man. Yeah. That's why he was so great. Right, but even if he's not as accurate, if he puts it outside within the 20, okay, that's better than having it bounce into the end zone or kicking one that's not as high that gets returned. Yeah, but, Jeff, well, but Jeff, what you might have, if, if he's trying to do that, you might have balls flying out of bounds at the 25-yard line. And then you give up great field position. 
And they may see that yep. in practice on a daily basis. Keep in mind, you're not seeing what McGahee's seeing in practice to determine they don't want him to take that risk, Jeff. You're just assuming that he can do that. They may see things and they're like, don't risk it. Don't take the chance to do that. We don't want you to put yourself in a precarious spot. Okay, well, fair enough. All right, well, thank you, gentlemen. That's all I got. No, no all problem, right. Jeff. And look, I get it. If, if, if that's something kickers were capable of doing routinely – yeah, don't give guys a chance to return it. Put the ball out of bounds between the 5 and the 10-yard line. Boom, 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 we're good to go. Ain't that easy. Well, that's why I think if they felt strongly about him doing it, he'd be doing it. He would have had the green light Remember, ready to do Thomas it. Thomas McGahee yeah. was here with Jeff Eagles. Yeah. It's not like Thomas McGahee did not see somebody do this. He was the assistant special teams coach when Jeff Eagles was here under um, green. So, and they yeah. always talk about hang time, right? So that they can actually get people down there and make, force a fair catch or yeah. at least get a tackle within. Well, out kicking the coverage. Correct. And that's, that's why easier than yeah. putting it into the corner. Yes, and, and, and I think Pearson, thank you, and I think he makes a good point too, right? McGahee has made this point as press conferences where you want your hang time to match your distance, right? So if you yeah. kick a 40-yard punt, you want four seconds of hang time. If you kick a 50-yard punt, you want five seconds of hang time, and so on and so forth. So that, that is another part of the equation. He's absolutely right. Well, and that had been, I think, something that they've been addressing with also Jamie Gillen. So now you're putting that to the side, and you're simply asking him to focus to kick it out of play. There's a lot of things that could go wrong from a mechanical standpoint. And also, Jeff, I know for a fact, has had conversations with Jamie on a consistent basis. Well, and we too. had we had Jeff, so. we had Jeff on the Giants Little Podcast. Go check it out. He said him and Jamie have spoken a lot. He is going to try more directional kicking, but again, that's more all right. Punt right, get it outside the numbers on the right side of the field. That's a much bigger surface area than make sure the by the ball flies over the sideline in a two yard surface area. It's a lot more difficult. Yeah. Well, and that's why I go back to the mechanics because with respect to coverage. If the punter doesn't put the ball where it was intended to go and it's a short kick and it takes a bad hop and your coverage is out of whack, that's how you also allow perhaps a big return when you least suspect that. So there's a pro and a con to taking that risk. And once yeah. again, I still stand by if they felt that strongly about his ability to do it, Thomas McGahee, who's been in the league for decades, would have given him the green light to do that. So I think that says all you need to know, the fact that they're not having him do that. And maybe we will see more when we get to the regular season. Who knows? But again, good idea, Jeff. We're with you. If he's capable of doing that, go and do it. We just haven't seen any evidence that that's in his repertoire at this point. 201-939-4513. Donnie and Queens. I'm Donnie, you still on special teams here? You want to hit something else? <laughs> you know, I didn't know it was you guys when I called in. So I'll just make it quick because I don't want to become Charlie. Where I'm, I'm the guy calling the same topic every single time but if you read Dan Dugan's um, article the other day in the athletic he had a Monty Toomer observing practice with him and uh, there's a, a portion in there on Eric Graham returning punts and it was not good so I would urge you to check that out um, I'm at practice too Donnie I, I, Donnie I, I don't need to read somebody else's story about what happened at practice I watch practice every day okay well I mean I'm assuming you never returned punts in the NFL no. and Amani Toomer has oh yeah yeah fair point no fair point perspective. no fair point fair point fair okay point. yep um, I will say you kind of stole my thunder with the uh, your kind of a soliloquy there on Isaiah uh, Simmons and certainly the fans are buying in right now for the Giants it seems they think everything that has been done is going to work and you know Shane can do no wrong so I think certainly like you said let's temper our expectations with them I actually think, kind of like Lance alluded to earlier, that I do think that they will try to use him almost as like a poor man's Matthias Kiwanuka, where he can slide out to that edge or even be an uh, interior pass rusher on third down. Just, you know, watching some stuff yesterday. And a lot of times when a trade like this happens, I like to sort of like a, a Cardinals blog and see what their fans and their writers are saying about him. And it did seem like when you just gave him a, a simple – has to focus on like getting downhill that's where he was at his best and maybe no correct you're right jack about of that. all trades yep this jack of all trades thing he was built out of college kind of was a detriment to him you know they got him in the slum. so there's not a lot of players like that those unicorns are exciting but a lot of times they often don't work out so i'm like i'm curious to see what they do with him there uh now again the here's the don just remember this about... don just remember he's only 238 pounds so He's a guy that I think I would use as a blitzer, but I would not use him as an edge player, if you understand my distinction there. 
Yeah, I, I totally do. And I okay. definitely, in terms of like playing the edge, it's not going to be an every down thing. It would have to be third and 12. And you yeah, they'll pick their spots. Thing. Correct, yes. Yeah, for sure. Have, has Dable spoken to the media today about what their plans are for tomorrow yet? Uh, There's no, no media There today. is no media today, yeah. so we'll be... No we'll, okay. I mean, look, he I was, he wasn't going to tell you what his plans are anyway. I hate to bring it to you tonight. <laughs> Even if he spoke, he wasn't going to tell you. If you're trying to find out who's going to play, he's not going to tell you. So <laughs> it's a lost yeah, cause. And, and that's, you know, I don't understand why like it has to be like this big secret of who they're playing in a preseason game. I really don't get it, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, frankly, I'm, I'm hoping they don't play anybody. I think at this point they've gotten this far, and I, I almost hate to say it, but they've been healthy um, so far through camp. Like, let's just get to the, the, the opening night here at this point. So You want to see Gray return punts, back. though, right, Donnie? Yeah, you want to see Eric Gray back there returning I, punts, I, right? I do want to see this, and I want to clarify. I'm not Charlie where I'm rooting to be right. No, I know that. I'm, I know that to be, I'm not going to call in and say I told you so. I'm just not comfortable with it. Now, I don't think the coaching staff is not as well. So, all right, guys, thanks for your time. No, appreciate it, Donnie. Good stuff. And look, you have a point on Gray. You don't want your punt return to punt returner to make big mistakes. So, totally get it. Well, but once again, he's young. He's still raw. Mm -hmm. He's got to play. And once again, option B is then a more proven player or somebody that's a starter on offense and defense because there's no guarantee that a guy like Crowder makes the roster. So then we go back to the Adoree Jackson conversation. And you know where I stand. I'm more than comfortable putting a starter on offense or defense into special teams because it's a third facet. And if you have your best hands guy who happens to be a guy that's going to get a lot of snaps, so be it. But just know that's the trade-off. If you don't want the young guy in there, then you go with the more proven commodity, and that means you run the risk where somebody more valuable in another component on your team could go down. You just you got to understand that coaches also need to weigh those two different options. 201-939-4513. Run or walk with Giants legends. The Giants Foundation will host a 5K race and kids run presented by Quest on Sunday, October 8th at 9 a.m. in MetLife Stadium. Net proceeds will benefit the Giants Foundation. All participants will receive a commemorative t-shirt and after the race, stay for a post-race festival with appearances by Giants legends and a live DJ. Register now at Giants.com slash 5K. Back to the phones at 201-939-4513. Let's go to Dan in Connecticut. He's up next. Hi, Dan. Hey, guys. Love the show. What's up? I never miss, never miss a show. Thank you. Um, I've been a giant fan forever. I, I was an usher when I was a kid at Yale Ball. I always meant that. When I, but um, I think it's going to be a really good year this year. I like Dish and Simmons. Uh, I could see him bird-dogging Joe Evan Hurts. Don't kill us on the run. Um, I, you know, I think rookies got to come through, and of course, a couple of the guys from last year's draft. And I think we'd be unstoppable. I got a couple concerns. Um, Darren Waller, I'd like to see him more on sidelines. He's not as exposed to big hits. But uh, that's about it, guys. Thank you. All right. Pre- pre- appreciate the call, Dan. Look, I think you use Waller everywhere. Um, but look, he's. He's going to be your big weapon over the middle. So, I mean, you watch him practice, it's crossing routes all over the place. Slants, stops, crossers, over routes, in cuts, all those sorts of things. He's going to be Daniel Jones' primary target in the middle of the field. So, I know you don't want him to get hit. The good news is that he's 6'6 and almost 250 pounds. So, if yeah, anyone can take a couple hits it. at Tim, yeah. he'll be okay. That's why you have a great tight end, to work the middle of the field. And that's what they're going to do with Darren Waller. Yeah, I mean, he's built like a basketball player, I and mean, that, to me, is the best comparison. Yeah, power so, forward. Yeah, well, but that's a basketball yeah, player. 100%. So, you know, you want to throw it to him in the post, let him do the work. He's expecting that he's going to get hit. The Raiders used him in a very similar way. I don't think that's necessarily anything startling or surprising. And if he's referring to the play in the preseason where he caught the ball and then obviously he took a hit and the ball got jotted loose, that's going to happen from time to time. I mean, it's going to happen for wide receivers too, as well as running backs. That's why, you know, you go through the reps in practice to brace yourself in the event that you make the catch and somebody's coming from you, either from the blind side or the direction that you're coming from, because if you drop that ball, it's an incomplete pass. And you don't want to do that after you ran what appeared to be a seamless route. But if Jones, if they want him to get rid of the football quickly, that's why you got to rely on a guy like Darren Waller, because he's the outlet. And to his point, in terms of the rookies, and Lance and I say this all the time, 
it's always risky to rely on rookies to be difference makers for you in year one because guys are figuring things out. It's going to take them some time. Now, I do think this rookie class, Lance, is probably going to get a significant number of amount of playing time. Deontay Banks is probably going to be your starter. Uh, John Michael Schmitz is probably going to be your starter. Jalen Hyatt, I think, is going to get real significant snaps early in the year. Like, he's getting work with the one. So, uh, then Trey Hawkins is probably going to be a, a quasi-starter as your third cornerback, right? So... I think this rookie class is, is going to get a lot of snaps, but to expect them to be your stars that put you over the top, I think that's asking a lot of rookies, right? So and especially rookies that are not being picked in the top five or top ten in their perspective rounds. That's number one. Number two, and this is what we always say, the reason the Giants got great last year or got better last year, right, from where they were and won a playoff round, nine wins, all that good stuff, Andrew Thomas became a great player. Dexter Lawrence became a great player, right? These are guys that are drafted two or three years ago. So can that next group of draft picks coming up take that next step? Can Aziz Ojolari take that next step and become a great pass rusher? And Kayvon, too. In year two, can Kayvon do it? In year two, can Evan Neal become a good starting offensive tackle that you don't need to help and, and give help to, Right. So those are the guys. Can Wando Robinson come back and make a difference off the injury? The problem is that last year's rookie class dealt with so many injuries. A lot of them didn't even play. Yeah, Beavers is another guy. And, and so it's just this is basically their rookie year for a lot of these guys that aren't named Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal and Micah McFadden. Those are the only three guys from last year's rookie class that didn't get hurt. Every single other player got hurt from Beavers to McKeithen to Wando Robinson and I'm even forgetting another guy that I don't recall, but I think there is another well, guy. Well, DJ Davidson is the other guy. DJ yeah, Davidson, he thank was you. Also hurt, so. And then a guy like Cordell Flott, who was drafted two years ago, he's dealt with a ton of injuries. Yep. So can these guys get healthy and make that immediate impact, guys that have been on the team already? Those are the guys that usually make a difference, not the rookies. Yeah, guys. but if you use also Andrew Thomas as an example, you know, you're talking about year three yeah. for him. And that's important to note because all of these other players that we're discussing, they're entering year two or they're not really even in year two because they didn't play that much last season. It's sort of year second half of year one. That impacts the level of production that you may be able to get out of them immediately this season. So that group has to make a jump for this team overall to get up there with the rest of the top teams in the NFC East and the entire NFC landscape. By it's not way, just Isaiah Simmons being inserted and making a few splash plays. And it was year four for Dexter Lawrence. Yeah. It wasn't even year three for him. He was good in year three, but he didn't become a star until year four. Take some time for these rookies to figure it out. And also, several of these players have been through different schemes throughout Correct. their career, too. Correct. Now, that's the positive for these young guys who came in last year. All right, Mike Kafka, Brian Dable are still here. You're running the same offense. If you're in Wick's system, you're still running the same defense. So that is something that the previous draft classes, I would argue, did not benefit from. So you like that, but the sample size is very small. So just because you think this player made a flash during four games to end last season doesn't mean that you're going to get that four more times spread out over the course of the season. And remember, Kayvon also started off last year with a knee injury too. Even though he did play, he also was a little bit sidelined as well. Let's go to Cliff in New York. He's up next. Hey, Cliff, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, I, I know we're on the same page about Glowinski. I just wanted to finish where, we, where, we, where we're at with that because you asked what is he doing playing on the left side. I think, you know, there's absolutely no problem with having that man on the field. You know, he's, he's been a great addition to the team, and I think he has a lot to do with uh, why Daniel was able to find uh, Hodgins and, and Slayton down the field, maybe not past 30 yards, but pushing towards 30 yards down the field. And uh, that certainly takes a little time to to to, to make that happen uh, in terms of protection. Cliff, that too, but I also think Lewinsky needs to be a little bit more consistent this year than last. There were some games last year where he had some issues, so I think he needs to even out that performance a little bit. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, the, the way I looked at him was the uh, when when Shane came in, my impression was when they looked at what needs attention first, it was the interior OL, and and uh, that that was considered almost a dumpster fire. And and uh, and picking up Glowinski and the center that we already let go. What was his name? The, um, You're talking about Feliciano. 
Feliciano, yeah. yeah. I thought both of those guys did a great job. I think they had everything to do with the success we had last no, year. No, 100% Cliff. They were, they were improvements. They helped in the run game for sure, and I think they were steadying presence. Right. So what I'm looking for is ceilings. In other words, um, when they drafted Izudu and McKeithen, I think the idea was that they were, they, were, they were hoping that those guys could have a higher ceiling than either of those guys that they first brought in. And yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so I think the having Glowinski on the left side maybe is a move in that direction in the sense that he becomes more of a rotation player, and as a rotation player, he's played there in his career, but not for us. So they want to try him out there because what they'd really like to have maybe is uh, Izudu and Bredesen at the guards, and um, and and hope that Schmitz uh, uh, was a, was a was uh, something they didn't know they were going to get, but they they let uh, Nick Gates walk. I know there was money involved, but they they really thought that there were there was there was a higher ceiling out there somehow for center, even if it maybe took longer than a year to get. So. Uh, well, Cliff, so the, let, let me just jump in here. The one thing, though, that I wouldn't go based on last season is Feliciano was a veteran player. I understand that right. he was mostly a guard, but he was a veteran player. I think it's one thing to be able to rotate guards next to a center that has experience as opposed to John Michael Schmitz, who hasn't played one NFL regular season snap, and you playing the game of movable musical chairs here with respect to a different left guard every other series and that's a lot to throw on the plate of a young center. I don't know how appealing that is for the coaching staff in comparison to Feliciano being in that spot. I think yeah, that's no, something you've got to take into consideration. Absolutely. That's just a question of degree. I think of a rotational player as somebody who doesn't play half the snaps. He would be, he would be somebody who's on his way out <laughs> you know, as, as a regular player. He'd be, I don't know, 20% or 30% of the snaps at the most. Uh, um, uh, is is what I was thinking for for rotation, and um, so my big question is what's the what I think Bredesen Bredesen might be my 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 candidate for for a breakout player. Who says he doesn't have a higher ceiling than we've seen? Well, it's possible. I mean, he's not that far removed from the draft, but it's fourth I mean, I, year, right, for Bredesen? Yeah. So you know, fourth year. It's not crazy to say maybe a guy has a breakout year, but you know, once again, I think they look at Ben Bredesen as that steady presence, foundational piece, insurance policy. Sort of a jack-of-all-trades type of guy if you're going to refer to an offensive lineman where he's interchangeable, guard and center. You can move him around in case there's injuries. You know who I think of him of? It's Kevin Booth. Yeah, Kevin Booth I think is a very good comparison. Kevin Booth was that very valuable offensive lineman where he could play just about anywhere, and you knew exactly what you were getting out of him. Yep. He wasn't a liability. I think Bredesen fits that exact mold. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, I just think he might have been, uh, you know, by, by being the guy that's moved around, people might thought less of him. But I, I don't I like think they think less of him. I, I just, I think he's sort of, to use that cliche, you know, he brings the hard hat to work every single day and Lunch he's going to put his that. head down yeah, and, and that's it. I don't think that's necessarily overlooked. Maybe sometimes those guys are taken for granted, Cliff, to your point. But when yeah. you say he has a higher ceiling, I don't necessarily think that Ben Bredesen is going to be making a Pro Bowl anytime soon. And okay. I don't know, once again, I mean, if, if that's what you're insinuating. I that's think what gotta, I'm asking. I think you got to hit the brakes on that. That I don't okay. see. Yeah. Because you guys, you guys were aware of him in the draft, maybe? Or was he a, a deeper pick? Bredesen was a late day three pick. I don't remember us talking much about him back when he was drafted. I guess, what was that, 2019? Okay. Yeah, but was, you were you were but you were teaching us the last few years about, you know, offensive linemen two to five years, uh, two to five years to develop. And, yeah. and, Paul, and, and so he's coming. He's not there yet. You know, no, no, but, uh, but again, you can be a good player. He can develop into a good starter. Doesn't mean you're going to be a Pro Bowl or an All Pro player. That means you're one yeah, of the yeah. four best players at that position in the sport. That's asking a lot. Okay. The other thing I just wanted to check on, and then I'll let you go. Um, uh, I was reflecting on on where where we were at with the state of the team. I think this was before the draft, John, when you you were cautioning us. You know, don't think. Might have even been in January or February. Uh, um, don't don't think that uh, you know we we couldn't be a um, uh, a better team and have a worse record than last year. You know, and that, a lot of us have been uh, saying that. Yeah, so. and, and but by yeah. the way, Cliff, I'm very darn convinced that this Giants team is better talent wise this year than they were last year. But I don't know if they're going to have a better record. Right, but I'm wondering what's what's your feeling about the team? What's happened since the the winter? When we were talking about them, and, and 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 we were kind of pumping the brakes on the team, I think a lot. I think a lot's happened to to make me think like, wait a minute, you know, 
could could these guys really be good? I mean, really good, because um, the way the way the rookies have developed and and um, they haven't the played. The guy, they they have played. not played in a real game yet, man. Like just 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 just, just be careful but, with that. But, but more important than that, the guys that were hurt last year are healthy. Some of them are. Yeah, Wondell Robinson's still on pup. Aaron Robinson's still on pup. Those guys. Uh, we have much more depth at their positions than we had sure, before. But absolutely. We don't have much more depth at Ojolari's position, and I'm so glad that he's on the field. Well, Cliff, 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 I'll ask you this. Where do you think the team, from guys that are going to play significant snaps, is much better this year than they were last year? Wideouts. Okay, I agree. Where else? And, oh, there, there's a ceiling question. Hodgins, what do you think of him? Now, now, I mean, who says... now, now, Cliff, here's the thing, too. You realize that two of the receivers that didn't get most of the snaps were on the roster last year, right? In That's Ho- right. In Hodgins and Slayton. Right. And, and, but who's to say they're not gonna be, they're, they, they've reached their, their, their peak as performers? Uh, I don't think they have. Well, I think maybe Hodgins more so than Slayton at this point in their career. Yeah, you think you know more about Slayton, I agree. But, yeah. but, uh, but Hodgins, I was like, wait, wait a minute, this guy just gets better every time I see him. And I noticed, did you notice what his stat line was in the playoff game? It was 8 for 105, man. I, I missed that somehow. I, I, I didn't know it was that good. I mean, who does that? As a rookie in a playoff game. Remember, he's not uh, a rookie. He's not a rookie. It's, 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 it's his third year in the NFL. Um, yeah, but he didn't play. No, he didn't play. That's true. But remember, Hodgins, you, you also have to look at a guy's traits, right? Like, Hodgins yeah. ran in the four sixes, all right? He's not a guy that's oh. going to burn you and run past you. Even in practice this year, I mean, has he caught a pass for more than 30 yards in practice? I'm not sure if he has. He's not, I don't recall again, anything. That yeah. doesn't mean he's not a good player and he's not a helpful player. He's just not a, a burner. He's a guy that's going to be a... a Possession receiver. It's going to move gonna, the chains. That, that is going to move the chains. Exactly, 100%. So you have to understand, Cliff, not every player has a line that starts at zero or wherever it starts and just goes on a diagonal to the top right-hand corner of the graph. Because if every player on every team was like that, no one would be better because everybody in the league would just be going in a diagonal line going to the yeah. right. So, just, and, and again, thanks for the call, Cliff. We appreciate it. You know, these guys aren't necessarily all going to – improve at the same rate, at the same pace, in the same way every year. And as far as his point about, I mean, this is not necessarily looking down upon things, but until these guys play a regular season game, I really don't think you could sell me on conversations we had in March versus conversations we're having now. There's not a whole lot to operate with. You know, when we get through the first quarter of the season, you want to say, okay, this group of rookies has really shown that they could transition. Fine, we have a little bit more to take a deep dive into other than just pure hypothetical scenarios. There's not a lot of tangible evidence to operate with at right. this point. We have two more calls. I get to them. I just want to run through the exercise. I want, we kind of got bogged down with cliff there. Good call cliff. Thank you. Um, pass catchers are better. You know, Ed and Paris Campbell, more importantly, adding Darren Waller. Yeah, more volume. Yeah. Well, and Waller is a better pass catcher than. Okay. Well, if you're including the tight ends yeah. of this too. Sure. So the guys, Daniel Jones is throwing the ball to are going to be better. Okay. Is the offensive line better? I think I, um, in the long term, I love the addition of John Michael Schmitz. Am I sure he's going to be much, much better than John Feliciano in his rookie year? I don't know that for sure. I think he will be a little bit better. But do I know if he's going to be like, you know, much, much better? Not sure. So offensive line, you hope, makes incremental improvement, mostly because Evan Neal is better in year two than year one. But not necessarily added players there, more younger guys getting better, right? Yeah, taking a Smith. step up. I think Correct. that's what you're operating with. Yes. So basically, I think there's potential there, yep. but remains to be seen Agreed. is the way that I would describe that. Uh, Saquon's back, same guy. Daniel's back, same guy. You hope Daniel continues to improve. Second year in the system, all that, but same player. Uh, defensive line depth behind Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence, significantly better with yep. with, with Nacho and with Ashawn Robinson. We mentioned the, the, the young guys earlier in the show. So when those guys aren't on the field, your run defense will get better, especially with the addition of Okereke. You're going to be better there at linebacker because of his addition. Your other linebackers are all pretty much the same. Your edge players are literally the same. You could have the same four or five guys there on the edge. Again, you hope the young guys get better, but we'll see about that. And then in the secondary, you lost Julian Love. So your safety position, you like Jason Pinnock. Is he going to be better than Love this year? I don't know that. You hope you stay static there, right? At cornerback, you hope you get a little bit better that the young guys give you a little bit of a boost there at the second cornerback position, but you're still starting two rookies. 
And starting two rookie cornerbacks in the NFL is always a dangerous thing to do. So you think you're going to be better there. So I like where I see the long-term improvement arrow pointing with the addition of a lot of these young guys that are getting a lot of playing time. And I think in certain spots this year, like Waller, Okereke, depth on the defensive line, uh, Paris Campbell, the other pass catchers you added, Tyatt I'll throw in the mix there too, you're going to see immediate improvement this year. But is it so much improvement that where I think Cliff was kind of, he said, really, really good, where you're being talked about with the Eagles and the 49ers? Don't know yet. You have a chance because your overall talent is better. But that's something that the team has to show on the field. Yeah. And we haven't seen anything in a real game in real competition yet. Well, and it still comes back to the offensive line because those two teams in Dallas, too, have really strong defensive fronts. And remember— And Washington. (laughs) All of these weapons—yeah, Washington with the four former first-round picks— all of these toys and bells and whistles are dependent on how your offensive line performs. Mm-hmm. So we could sit here, John, and you could tell me about Darren Waller, and you could tell me about Jalen Hyatt and all of these other guys, but you have to have the ability for them to get down the field and make plays. If the trenches doesn't handle that, yep. it offsets all of these bells and whistles. And it's the same thing with the defensive front in terms of being able to apply pressure on opposing quarterbacks and stopping the run. If you don't take care of that then you're not going to put the secondary in a better position for these young guys to make plays. So you got to see how they match up in the trenches early in the season, especially when you get Dallas and San Francisco right out of the gate. So it's not like you're waiting till seven or eight weeks into the season, okay? The top teams in the NFC, when it comes to fronts, you're going to see them right out of the gates. That, I think, will be the perfect indicator to see whether or not all of these other changes fall into place. And again, I'm very confident that this team is more talented than last year's team. Oh, from a depth perspective overall, I don't think it's any question. There's nothing to debate. But whether or not that equates to performance and execution, John. And results, more importantly. That's a completely different conversation. Right. And we'll see. And and that's why you play the games. But I think they're pointing in the right direction. I think the front office has done a good job. I think we trust the coaches. Uh, I love sure. I love where this is heading, but this is not. Remember, this was not a two year project, folks. You know, Rome does not get built in even you know two seasons, let alone one. So, patience. But again, I think they've closed the gap with Dallas. I think they're getting closer to Philly, and I think Week One will be a great uh, litmus test. Even though it's Week One, and again, all the caveats of Week One, weird things happen. It's a strange yep. week. I hate that they're playing Dallas in Week One. It'll be a great test to see where they are. Um, against Dallas. 201-939-4513. We'll bring up the call. Let's form lines. Thank you very much. Yep. Let's go to James in Georgia. James, what's going on? My computer locked up on me. <laughs> what's hey, happening, James? What's going on, guy? What's up? Good right. Nothing much. Nothing much. Um, so I just wanted to call a little bit about the lineup. It's been a while since I called. So, sure. Uh, just kind of follow me for a second. Um, I know it's a copycat league, and um, – Teams have, like, their identity and their formulas. You know, the Giants were uh, heavy on defense, you know what I mean, type of identity every time we've had a good winning team. You know what I'm saying? You're talking about when they've won Super Bowls? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's fair. So um, when we want, when we had, like, say, the Plexico tumor uh, um, combination, those were all taller wide receivers. Uh, Knicks and Manningham and Cruz, they were all, I guess, shorter than Plexico and Tumor, sure. but they, you know, still got, um, and, you know, with Kansas City, they've always been uh, Kelsey, uh, or they used to be Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, you know, smaller, fast guys. They play more of the Golden State ball, the, the small Small ball, explosive quick, plays, sure. yeah, long. is what they right, right, right. all yeah. about speed. So, yeah. so, do you? I believe, and do you believe we're going with that same type of formula where Darren Waller is, say, one of our our is our primary receiver in our package, and we don't have a say a a number one wide receiver, but it's like our offense goes through. Waller and maybe a Saquon or what do you what do y'all see us putting together as far as a, a copycat package or who do you think our copycat package involves? Basically? No, good question. Good question. James. Um, I have another. Um, yeah, th- yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. What's number two? Uh, 
it had to do with the um, uh, who do you say see as our pass rushes that can give us a pass rush from the inside to create kind of a NASCAR package because I don't think anybody has like the heavy enough frame of a tuck or like Kiwanuka when they did it when we had NASCAR. Have you met so Dexter Lawrence? <laughs> Dexter Lawrence. Have yeah, you yeah, met yeah, Leonard Williams? They—they they no. are literally James. Those two are literally I'll, your best defensive players on the roster. Right. They ain't coming off the field, dude. Like they're on the field on right, third right. downs. I was gonna say that uh, Leo, but they don't have the—they don't have the defensive end, quote unquote, pass rush speed. You know what I'm saying? Well, no, no. I, I don't. Th- I don't think this has a. This team has a group of. And, and James, thanks for the call. Yeah. Have a group of guys that have proven themselves to the extent of Strahan and Tuck and OC and, and those guys and JPP at, you know, towards the end of the run outside. But I, I think you frame it, well, who are the guys going to get you consistent pressure off the edge? And I think it's Aziz and Thibodeau. I mean, it's no mystery who your guys are up front. Like, big third down, Leonard and Dexter inside, Ojolari and Thibodeau on the edge, go get them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that's what it's going to be. Well, but, I mean, you're not putting those guys on the interior, though. No, I guess it's no, going no, back no, no, to no, what no, the no, caller's no. question was. I think Dexter, Leo, and I'll throw Ryder Anderson in there, too. I think he's an option that could provide some pressure from the interior if need be. But if you're looking for, you know, those four guys that you mentioned in terms of the NASCAR package, they were sort of interchangeable interior edge guys. I don't think the Giants have that manpower right now on the roster. So Dex and Leo are your best options. I don't really see Wink grabbing random guys who may be outside linebackers and saying, hey, let's stuff you on the inside. I don't see that happening. Could he send a blitz from, you know, the interior of the defense, maybe at the linebacker level? That could happen. But you're not going to have a guy hand in the dirt moving to the inside based on the comparison of that NASCAR package. You don't need to play a NASCAR package when your two interior pass rushers are Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. Well, they take up enough space as it is anyway. And they get to yeah. the quarterback exactly. just, just fine. Yeah. As for his other question, yes, I think the Chiefs are a good model to look at. Mike Kafka came from there. Uh, Brian Dable has said that his offense and Kafka's offense use a lot of the same principles. That's why he hired them. He thought, while they come from almost different schools of thought, they actually come together pretty well in terms of how you try to create space. So I think that's the way you look at it. Waller's going to be a number one option. You put a lot of speed around him. The Giants have not been shy about disregarding is the wrong word, but I don't think height and size is a priority for them when it comes to their wide receivers. I think separation, quickness, and speed is a much yep. la- a much more important factor for them. So I think looking at the Chiefs, I think that is a, a pretty good model to look at. And also since the Giants don't necessarily have a Tyreek Hill I think it's very possible that you're going to have a fluctuation in terms of the top receiver game to game. I think it'll be like what the Chiefs did last year. Yeah, exactly, when Tyreek Hill wasn't there. So it could be one game where, once again, it's Isaiah Hodgins manning the middle. You could have a game where Jalen Hyatt grabs a few deep passes. And then if Wondell Robinson comes back, could be the shifty game that we saw against the Detroit Lions. Yep. So that could very well be the duplication of Kansas City where Waller is the main guy and then a bunch of other players just circle around him game in and game out depending on what the coverage dictates. Because there's going to be some games and some opponents, you know, they're going to say, we don't want Jalen Hyatt to beat us. Okay, so then somebody else needs to step up. There could be another game where we want to focus on Wondell Robinson. That's all going to be dictated based on who the opponent prioritizes. And the reason why I didn't bring up Waller is because they're always going to prioritize Waller. It's just a matter of what other wide receiver do they maybe roll the dice with. Keith and Cranford will wrap us up today. Keith, what's going on? Hey, I I love listening to you guys. I try to listen to you quite a bit. I've been overseas a bit. Thank you. I can only get you on the podcast or whatever else, but I, I really do appreciate the information you give out and the insight that you give to everybody. Thank you, Keith. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I just want to say something about Simmons. One of the things my pet peeves the last few years is that we don't have good coverage on tight ends. We let them free release off the thing. I thought Simmons would be great for that type of job. He has catch-up speed. He can nail him on the first five yards, you know, make it hard for them to get out for a fast. And even after he nail him, go in and get the quarterback. You know, I mean – you can use them in so many different ways, I think. And I think um, the defensive coordinator will utilize all those different things. But I think that that is a dimension that I think he might have, and he's physically big enough to do that. 
No, Whereas, no, 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 look, I, I, and, and real quick, Keith, I'll let you finish. I think you make a good point. I think he does have the size and speed that you kind of build in a lab that can hang with tight yeah. ends. But I think I'll go back to the point that Donnie made earlier, and I think he made a good one. I do think it's a situation where you don't want to try to ask him to do too much on a given play. So give him simple assignments, right? Go, I agree. I like, agree. To your point, go cover that tight end. Okay, go blitz. Okay. Right. Like, those are the things I think that, again, as that flex linebacker safety hybrid type, those are the type of things you can ask him to do. And it will also change from game to game. Yeah, for sure. He may ask him to right. blitz based on one opponent. He may ask him to defend the tight end because— And I we mean, saw Landon cover tight ends Yeah, exactly. And the game he year. may have done something in one game which wasn't duplicated in the right. next game. I can see—I think when Wink brings him in, he's going to say, Isaiah, we're not going to try to overwhelm you. This is not Clemson where you're going to play defensive end, linebacker, corner, safety. And read the field, yeah. and if this guy does that, then Correct. you do this. No, it's no, it's no, going to no, be no. week one, we're going to have you cover tight ends. Week two, we're going to have you blitz. Week three, we're going to have you mimic whoever the mobile quarterback that we're playing. Spy, right. Yeah, I, I think oh, that, I totally to me, is how it will play out. I totally agree with you on that. I mean, depending on the game, which they completely change everything on, they will adapt to what the big threats are. But uh, uh, one thing I was trying to get at is that in – I feel that we were stressing that we haven't been able to cover a lot of better tight ends and that he might be just the weapon that we need to do that type of thing. But I also want the ability to cover the, the big, fast uh, quarterbacks or whatever else we need. Yeah. So he, he could be that position tool that you can use for those situations. 100%. Yeah, I agree, Keith. Thank you. A lot. Thanks a lot for the call. And that's why he was drafted eighth overall, because you saw the physical skill set where he could do those different types of things. And I think those matchups are going to present themselves this season. So you look at the schedule, you're going to see George Kittle in week three in terms of versatile tight ends. I referenced Josh Allen and Sam Howell in week six and week seven in terms of those quarterbacks that can run and won't shy away from that. And then as the season progresses, you're going to see various tight ends. New England, for example, you know, they have two guys, including Hunter Henry. And I'm assuming that now that Bill O'Brien is their offensive coordinator, they may go back to that old school Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez feel and flavor. And New England doesn't really have a number one true wide receiver as well. And Bills have Dalton Kincaid, who they drafted in the yep. first round, and Dawson Knox, who are doing And two, Dallas two has a plethora of guys with mm-hmm. Dalton Schultz and now. George no Kittle week three, anyone? Yep. No, absolutely. That's yeah. who I started off the conversation yeah. with. Seattle uses a variety of guys. And Zach Ertz, I think, is back, right? So Zach Ertz might be active for Arizona in week two. With Arizona, right? correct. Yeah. And I would say Isaiah Simmons is somewhat familiar yeah, with uh, what Zach Ertz could do. We'll see whether or not he plays an awful lot because that's still very early in the season, but the schedule is going to test him. Yeah, remember last year, those Jefferson, Landon, Collins type of players, their playing time would really fluctuate week to week based exactly. on the opponent and yeah. the role you needed on the field. So that's something else to keep in mind. Well, and that's why, real quickly, that's why Isaiah Simmons, he could go from one game where it's the Isaiah Simmons show. Right. You always see him on the field, mm-hmm. and then, John, it could be the next week, 100%. Isaiah Simmons, and you're like, well, where's Isaiah Simmons? It's because Wink doesn't think his skill set is strong in this matchup. It's suited for that matchup. It's right. going to happen. Right. Yeah, Giant fans, take your season, uh, take your fandom rather to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And don't forget, folks, to go download the Giants TV app. It's the Giants' official connected streaming app. It brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV and the Giants mobile app. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Big Blue Kickoff Live will be back next Monday. One more week. We have shows at 11, so make sure you come and tune in next week. And if you're checking out the game on Saturday, check out our pregame show on WFA and FM at 5 p.m. If you're one of the game, we'll be at uh, the stage at MetLife Central with Jonathan Casillas and I. All right, everybody. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a great weekend. Enjoy preseason game number three. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.